in junior high, in high school, in college, as a young adult, these are the words that were used to describe me. Responsible, dependable, loyal, thanks a lot, serious. In school, yes, I admit it, I was a straight-A student, and that's because when I came home, I cracked open the books for three to five hours every school night. Thank you very much. As my mom would say, Mark worked hard for those A's. Okay. She wouldn't say it that way, and if she heard me say it like that this morning, she'd kill me. In college, it was no different. In college, it was no different. I was a part of a group that prayed for revival, that revival would come to Wheaton College. You know, that makes you a little odd right there. Um, I was part of a group that established a extended worship time. We felt that Sunday morning church was really inadequate to worship the King of Kings. And so we added another four hours to that Sunday afternoon, Traber Hall, sixth floor, just come and pray and worship God for another four hours. Thank you very much. Some of you are looking like, you are kidding me. I know. And by sophomore year, I was known as that guy who prayed a lot. Ask, if you ask Jenny, did you know Max before you started dating? And her answer would be, not really. I just knew he was that guy who prayed a lot and hated women. She only said that because I was in the Bachelor to the Rapture Celibates in Action Club, whose theme song was, Honey, I Have a Higher Calling. <laughs> so you Asbury students are like, Wheaton College was really like that? I know. But it, Reagan was president. We were fighting communism. Those were dark days. <laughs> Dr., Dr. Cliff Schimmel's. When he gave a talk to our class at Wheaton College, I will never, this is what he said to the class of 1990. You guys are the most serious group of Wheaton students I have seen in the 20 plus years I have been at this institution. Lighten up. Oh, that was his message. Can I admit something? All along the way, I wanted to have fun. I wanted to have fun too. I don't want to be serious and study all the time. That's boring. Okay, I, I wanted to have fun, which is why my senior year of high school, when the really cool people that were putting together the senior video for the year asked me if I would participate, my answer was yes. And when they said it would be me doing a skit where I would get in my tidy whities and do the um, Tom Cruise dance to Risky Business, I said yes. I, I, there is a tape, but I don't know that that can be shown in such serious God-honoring moments as a Sunday morning worship service. It's why when I was at Wheaton, when I was asked if I would participate in pranks, I said Yes, it's why, so uh, when I started out in ministry, when I started out in ministry, my ministry boss was a guy just up the road, Steve Pearson, right? And in his final evaluation that he gave me there, this is what he said, Max Vanderpool, it has been a joy to watch you loosen up, laugh, and in general, be more relaxed. In other words, what he was saying was, man, you were really uptight, serious, and no fun. And it was true. 
<laughs> but I wanted to have fun. And we would go for years. He would take me. We went to Saddleback in California and listened to Rick Warren. We went to Willow Creek in Chicago and listened to Bill Hybels. We went to this weird place in Louisiana and heard this guy I'd never heard before. But, man, that service went on for four hours, and I was having wheat and flashback. Um, and so we went everywhere, and Steve is this guy that just likes to have fun as he's doing things. And so we would show up, and we, we would have fun at these conferences. And it was amazing. The other people who showed up, and you could tell immediately something about their church culture by how they dressed. There was always the group that was in khakis and matching polo shirts with the church's name and logo over the heart with notebooks. Right? By the second day of the conference, guess whose lunch table they were begging to be at? Our table! Because we knew how to have fun. And so today, I want to talk about a value that I have that you should have too, and that you might think, really, that has a place in God's house? It does. It's real simple. Have fun. Have fun. Have fun. Are you hearing me? Have fun. Life is too hard, and there are too many difficulties to be serious all the time. I love the way Mike and Danita Lesage put it. The kingdom of God is a party. The kingdom of God is a party. And we see this very clearly in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And so if you brought a Bible, I want you to open it to John chapter 2, a, a, a chapter that's almost never preached on in church, John chapter 2. But it's always brought up anytime I have to don a tie and to help a couple tie the knot. John chapter 2. And we're going to be looking at the first 11 verses. All right? So I'm going to, we'll start off with the first couple of verses here. The next day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. Now, Nathaniel, one of the disciples, was from Cana, so there's some family and other kinds of connections there. But weddings in these small villages were really important events. They were the chief celebrations during the year. And a ceremony and a wedding celebration in these villages would last for days, sometimes as long as a week. So it was a party that... Everybody enjoyed going to. And so Jesus and his disciples attend. Now the Baptist in me goes, why? Why are they attending? Didn't Jesus have principles to teach? Weren't there people he should heal? Wasn't there poverty and suffering he could address? I mean, wasn't Jesus' ministry time on earth limited? I mean, is that really the best use of his time? Why did he go? It's in the passage. He was what? Invited. Invited. You know people, don't you, that when you are going to have a party or an event, you do the whole, I shouldn't invite them. Right? Because they're going to be Debbie Downer. They're going to suck the life right out of the party. They're going to complain. They're going to do any number of things. It's just going to make it bad for everybody. And... Jesus and his disciples are invited. And this is consistent all throughout his ministry. Jesus gets invited 
to parties and dinners that are being held by people who are not held in high esteem for their morality. How is it that God's chief representative is getting these kinds of invites? I tell you, it's hard. As a pastor, I get to go to a lot of weddings, and I have been at more than one wedding at the reception when somebody comes to the table that I'm at, and then their face falls. I like to think that I'm funny and witty and wise in a wedding and that I connect really well with the guests that are there. But when they come up and they see that they're at the pastor's table, all the joy goes away. Because there are assumptions, are there not, about what is and is not going to take place at the pastor's table at a wedding. I've been in their shoes because I co-officiated a wedding once and it was an older guy and he was reverend so-and-so and that's what everybody had to call him was reverend so-and-so and he insisted on doing his part of the wedding in his robes thank you very much and when it got to the reception I was looking for my table they had big numbers and when I saw that I was sitting literally next to him I did the thing that people have done to me crud this is going to be no fun sure enough, <laughs> sure enough, it wasn't, okay? At this wedding in Cana, there's going to be some fun. So let's keep going with the verses, verse 3 and 4. The wine supply ran out during the festivities. So Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. Running out of wine is, is no bueno. It's bad. It reflects badly on the host, and it's a problem. Now, some people make a big deal of Jesus doing this little thing right here because it's not the customary way of referring to your mother, dear woman. Uh, I don't think he's insulting his mom. I don't think he's dissing his mom. But the gist of that sentence is, uh, in essence, how does this problem concern the both of us? How are we involved in this issue here, Mom? And, and so, and he's got that thing, my time has not yet come. And you'll see that a lot in John's gospel because God the Father is the one deciding how this is going to play out and when it's going to play out. And Jesus is in submission to his Father's will. So let's keep going, verses 5 to 8. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. These six jars were made out of stone. And the Jews believed that um, uh, stone it couldn't become unclean. That was part of the whole... Um, religious way that they walk things out. There were, there were these notions of cleanness and uncleanness, and stone couldn't get contaminated, so it was always clean. So you could do your washing, you could do whatever you needed to do in a stone container because it couldn't become unclean and unusable. And each of these has 20 gallons, so do the math. Those of you that are good at math, 6 times 20 is how many gallons of wine? 120 gallons of wine. Wine, which in this culture would have been watered down to be served because it was so strong. So 
does that give you an indicator of how many wedding guests are at this party? At least three. <laughs> at least three who drink heavily, okay? <laughs> now, the immediate application here, the immediate application here is that Jesus gets involved in little things like kitchen tables and chairs, like when your car breaks down, like when you're having a rotten, awful, no good, horrible day, like when you get fired at work or let go, like any number of things that happen to you, God actually does care. Sometimes I know you don't feel that way. I, I, I'm in the same boat. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, well, God. But I, if we can see anything in this passage, we can see clearly it's not his family, it's not his problem, but the water becomes wine. Jesus cared enough to do something. All right? Let's look at the rest of the passage here, verses 9 through 11. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though, of course, the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said, and then when everyone's had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you, you've kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. I, I don't think the guests are, the, what the master of ceremonies is alluding to is, hey, everybody comes and gets so totally plastered they can't taste anything and they don't even know where they are, and you've saved the best wine till last. There's, there, anyone who is serving or doing anything with food and wine knows that at the beginning, your palate is most sensitive to tastes and textures. And as you've eaten and drank and done those kinds of things, your palate is less sensitive unless you cleanse it with a sorbet or something like that. And so, guys are looking at me, surely that this is how you do things in your houses, right? In apartments. Okay, so, so what's going on here is a whole palate issue, a whole palate issue. And the best wine comes at the end. Now, there's a big metaphor thing playing out in this passage. Big metaphor. If you read this book, cover to cover, vineyards and wine comes up a lot in this book. And throughout the Old Testament, God is referred to as a vineyard owner who has a vineyard that makes wine. Um, and so Jesus, in performing this miracle, is, is kind of saying... The wine that you've had up until now has been inferior, but the wine that I bring to the table is superior. My wine's better. So there's this metaphor thing that's playing out in this passage. It's a big metaphor, and I want to make sure that you got that part. But regardless of that, regardless of everything that's going on, Jesus attended a wedding and performed a miracle that didn't he didn't have to nobody had a gun to his head and there's some things i think that you and i can take from that and one of the first is it really is okay to have fun going about god's work you don't have to be serious all the time or wear a sears you know short sleeve white shirt with a name badge and a tie everywhere you don't have to study all the time i'm telling you it's okay to have fun and so in light of this passage 
allow me to ask some questions. First question, when was the last time you had some fun? Some of you, the look on your face says it all. When was the last time you had fun? When was the last time you laughed and time flew by or you got lost in the conversation or in the company that you were keeping or in what you were doing? When was the last time? And it was recent for you, Lucas. <laughs> if, if, let me ask you another question. If all good things originate from God, and this is a theological doctrine that Catholics and Protestants say, yes, this is true. So if all good things originate from God, and fun and laughter are good things, then where do those things come from? I think it must mean that God has a sense of humor. You cannot read the Bible, I'm telling you, and cover to cover and not go, God certainly has a sense of humor. It may be slightly wicked, but it is a sense of humor nonetheless. So let me, let me f- flesh out some practical... Here, here's what I need to do. Here's how to take this home, okay? First and foremost, don't take yourself too seriously. Don't. That was me for a large part of my young life. And on the inside, I really wanted to have fun too. Can I have some fun, please? Okay, so don't take yourself too seriously. No matter how big or famous you become or whatnot, I love the way one person says it, we all drink the same and pee the same. It's crude, but true. (laughs) Okay, so don't take yourself too seriously. Second, learn to laugh at life's mishaps, embarrassments, and minor accidents. The weak... This is harder when you're younger. I get this. When you're young, it's so hard. But I'm telling you, it's so much better if you can learn to laugh at life's mishaps. So the week that I killed my brick mailbox, that very... I did. I was in the church truck, and I was backing up. It was no big problem. And I felt a slight tap on the bumper. And as I looked in the rearview mirror, boom, my brick mailbox is flying in pieces in all directions. So I killed it. I was so mad at myself in that moment for a little while. And so the good thing was some buddies were having lunch the next day at a Chinese restaurant. Oh, this is awesome. I'll have Chinese. And I I was my inaugural wearing of my Chaco sandals. I was so excited. I'm going to lunch. This, This week's getting better. And wouldn't you know, Chaco sandals on a tile floor that has some Chinese food grease on it is no bueno. And I had gone through the line, and I had done what Americans do. I had many different things on my plate, three different kinds of sauces, and it went just like this. And it started at my forehead, and it went all the way down to my toes, and I was baptized in Chinese sauce. And as I stood there, the only option I really had was to kind of laugh it off and roll with it. (laughs) And that's what I did. And I used every napkin they had. (laughs) You have to learn to laugh at life's mishaps, embarrassments, and minor accidents. And last but not least, if you're serving, if you're in a ministry area, plan fun. Have fun in that ministry area. We have something we call stakeholders meetings. And we'll do games. We've had paper airplane races down the hallways of Asbury Theological Seminary. Uh, We have Play-Doh and things you can do with your hands. Um, Our biggest 
celebration of the year is something we call, uh, have called the Strategic Service Awards. And what do we typically do when we have those events, gang? We play. We have fun. There's games. It's, impo it's important to have that part of the DNA and culture because it's better when you're having fun. Because life, can we all agree, life is not always fun? Work is not always fun. Relationships are not always fun. School is not always fun. There's just a lot of things about life that are not always fun. But the kingdom of God is what, Mike and Danita? Or, it's a party. Okay? I want you and I encourage you to have fun. And here's the thing. You can't make yourself have fun. No kid, right? No kid goes, I am going to have fun. You can't, it's a byproduct Fun is typically a byproduct of the relationships, of what you're doing, and how you're going about it. And I think there's some hows that we can take from the life and ministry of Jesus.